how long we got? Where's our destination today? I don't know. We got 20 miles to cover. Let's talk some movies. People don't know how to drive. Are we going to get lunch on this gig? You see anything good recently? Not really. Right, we got a little time, Steve. Let's do a podcast. Sounds good. All right, we are back, Steve. Uh, yeah, it's back. Been a while. Yes, yes, we're back. Driving around some more. Beautiful weather, right? Beautiful Chicago winter. Actually, it's kind of kind of mild. But, yeah. Uh, but but yes. What have you been up to, my friend? Yeah, working, family stuff. Our listeners have been clamoring, Andre. Clamoring, clamoring for our thoughts know. on movies. They won't leave me alone, Steve. It's 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 getting ridiculous. And honestly, for me, you know, I always have to like justify to to our fans, uh, both of them. Yeah. Uh, that uh, the the you know how difficult it is to get the energy to do these podcasts when you, you have not gotten excited about a lot of movies you know wow. and that's really been the case for me i think like the the state of cinema in 2018 has been uh, fairly uh, fairly bad i think I, I don't know it's just like it's hard to like i'm looking over my list and you know it's just the the overall level of excitement has somehow deflated for me in the you know in the cinema world well, maybe that's your problem, because I'm almost going the opposite way. I'm starting to get a little more excited. I'm kind of ramping up. Really? But, uh, yeah. Uh, Though uh, I will say, compared to last year, this year, there's a bunch of stuff I saw was good, but I didn't see anything that I was like, that was great. And whereas last year I saw a couple things that I feel like years from now, like we might be talking about, like the last Blade Runner movie, or uh, mm -hmm. I was a big Phantom Thread fan. Mm -hmm. And this year, I, don't, I, I didn't feel like I saw, like, a masterpiece, but I did see a bunch of things I liked. You didn't see anything that excited you as much as the Phantom Thread this year? Is that what you're saying? Well, maybe. There's one movie, <laughs> kind of a late, a, late, uh, a late premiering movie, too, we'll get to. But one of the things I am excited about is, uh, you know, Andre, we've talked about how the way we watch movies has changed quite a bit, where now there are movies that might even be nominated for Oscars. We'll find out soon that premiere on streaming services yeah that's and, absolutely true you know major filmmakers you and i both admire mm -hmm. like the coen brothers and alfonso Cuarón, and uh next year i guess this year uh, martin scorsese there are movies that are just going to premiere on netflix uh which is kind of i've i have some mixed feelings about it i mean i i am one of those people who think pretty much anything is better in the theater experience sure that said um this could, you know, I feel like this is a temporary windfall for independent cinema. That suddenly there are platforms where interesting movies by interesting filmmakers are getting made that a couple of years ago that wasn't the case. Yes. There, there wasn't a strong market. You know, the studios are not interested in making a $10 million movie that wouldn't have wide appeal. And now, you know, Netflix, who just seems to have as far as I'm concerned, unlimited money. Uh, or so they believe. Yeah. I mean, they're just like, yeah, they're taking swings and putting <clears throat> things out. They can also right. make up 
Um, they can pretty much just invent how well a movie did or didn't do. Sure, sure. I'm turd, told uh, that... Yeah. Uh, Results don't matter. That Bird Box movie is very successful, so they claim. No but, one can verify. But, it, but I mean, doesn't that actually promote art for art's sake as a concept? I mean, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I, I think, a lot, you know, quite a few films on my list are basically Netflix movies. And that's fine. That's how it is. But, you know, I, I for, for me, I was, you know, I missed the cinematic experience. Yes. And the, the notion of going to the cinema and the, 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 the sort of the... <laughs> The aura that surrounds the act of going to the cinema, all that stuff that I actually love, seems to have fallen by the wayside, or has become really the, just the exclusive province of superhero movies, which is, which of course this year has seen a crapload of. Right? Sure. I mean, what was out this year? Like, Infinity War came out this year. It seems so forever ago. Black Panther came out even before. That's right. That. Black Panther, Infinity War, and, you know, so so what have we had? And then we had, like, Aquaman most recently. Yeah. And uh, what's been your favorite uh, superhero movie so far? Well, it was the movie I alluded to earlier. It's the animated Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which that, I mean, talk about a movie that probably... It's pretty easy to imagine a world where that was just a horrible, lazy cash-in. You know, yes. like It's just like a generic Spider-Man movie, except it's animated, it's on a big screen. Uh, for anybody who hasn't seen this movie or doesn't know the deal, in this century, there was a new Spider-Man created in the comics. It was a kid named Miles Morales. Miles, uh, notably, is a, uh, his dad is black and his mom is Puerto Rican. So they, not a white kid named Peter. No, and he goes by the mom's name for some for some reason. Ah, yeah. Because his dad's last name is Davis, and his name is Miles, yeah. so he'd be Miles Davis. Yeah. <laughs> you see, and I guess that's what he was trying to avoid. Maybe. He did not want to be unfavorably compared to uh, the genius yeah. of uh, of modern jazz. But please continue. <laughs> Well, anyway, so Miles is a great character. He's a beloved comic character. I've actually, uh, through my son, I've read some of these Miles comics. It's a great character. One of the most interesting things about the character is Miles exists in a world where the other Spider-Man everybody's familiar with already exists, Peter mm -hmm. Parker. So he's not he's not Spider-Man in the void. He's got like a model. That's right. You know? He's like a junior Spider-Man. Yeah, he's a second generation rock star. Mm -hmm. he's got a, he can he can That's watch right. YouTube videos Jason of Spider-Man. But anyway, so they were going to make a movie. They're like, what do we do with this Spider-Man character? You know, obviously in the main huge Marvel universe, they've already have a Spider-Man. Uh, so what do they do? They make this animated movie. And I was afraid it was just going to be kind of like a bone thrown in. Like, all right, here you guys go. We made a Miles movie. Shut up. And... Andre, I mean, that movie's great. It's super entertaining, super inventive. Mm -hmm. uh, also, as someone with young children, you know, I see a decent amount of kids' movies. A lot of them are uh, really lazy, it seems like. You know, I, I, I was about to say not to besmirch the people who worked on this movie, but sometimes I do want to besmirch the people who worked on this movie. <laughs> like, some of those movies you do wish had a little more, like imagination and care put right. into them. Right. In Spider-Man, there's just a lot going on in that movie. And I mean this in a good way. Like, you're like... There's an unbelievable amount of effort on the screen. Absolutely, absolutely. They threw everything in that film, and you can tell we both have, uh, you know, young boys as children. Yeah. That we take them to the. That we've both seen this film. Sure. But you know, virtually nothing else is in common in our list. But but uh, the the this movie was terrific, and uh, and I you know like 
you said it beautifully. It's just just a lot of stuff going on, starting with a very good script. Oh, the script is great. Just the animation. There's several almost different styles of animation within oh, the movie. absolutely. There's because multiple styles of it. Different homages to different comic artists and, and creators over the years. It's yeah. like a love letter to Spider-Man, really. I mean, yeah. it, you know, when they say, you know, I don't know if it's the best Spider-Man movie. It might be, you know, pound for pound, I suppose. But, yeah. but, uh, but it's certainly the most Spider-Man movie, you know. It's, it's a movie that <laughs> most, most enjoys yeah. Spider-Man. And there's a lot of different Spider-Man and there's a lot of guest stars. It's just, it's fun. I think uh, if, you know, if anybody has read a Spider-Man comic at any point in their life, they will they will enjoy the heck out of this I movie. kind of, my favorite take I read on this recently was that, you know, Tobey Maguire, people liked the first couple Sam Raimi Spider-Man mm-hmm. movies then didn't like the third one. And people, you know, the ones with uh, Andrew, whatever, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, those aren't Andrew good. Garfield. So the point is that uh, Tom Holland, his Spider-Man comes out. And, mm-hmm. You know, so Tobey Maguire got to be, like, everybody's favorite Spider-Man for, like, 15 years. And mm-hmm. poor Tom Holland's been displaced within, like, one calendar year. It's like, hey, <laughs> you're out, Tom Holland. There's a new favorite Spider-Man in town. And, There's uh, a different character, you know. And he's never going to get old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that's very true. That's very true. Sorry, Tom. Now, Tom will be fine, and, and you know, but he, yeah, the whole like different having a different Spider-Man, like a different origin story, uh, is uh, is challenging, you know, because people know Spider-Man, the you know, the wall crawler, but but you know, to to get into the backstory of a completely new person inside the suit, you know, is can, is always a stretch because. Peter Parker's narrative is so, uh, you know, so iconic, really, so ingrained in everybody's mind, because we've now seen it, like, what, 27 times on Yeah, screen? well, that's even a joke in, in uh, the Spider-Verse movie, is right. they're like, all right, here we go again, real quick. <laughs> and uh, the movie handles it, like, very cleverly, and, yeah. and actually uses it as a nice framing device, and... Uh, and again, just the artistic aspect of it. The, like the, the movie looks, it has a pixelated quality, like sheen over it. So it looks like a comic book page. Yeah. It has elements that are 3D. It has elements that are 2D. The action scenes are really cool. The entire closing action uh, set piece uh, is a big homage to one of my favorite comic artists, Bill Sinkovich. And uh, it's amazing looking. And it's uh, like, and it somehow all gels together in a... Yeah in a pleasant, like, totality that has some heart. Great voice work, incidentally, and excellent. That's actually, you brought up one thing I wanted to ask about. So did you see it in 3D? Yeah, I saw it I in... did not. No, mine was 2D. So was mine, and there were parts of it that I almost thought I was in the wrong theater. Yeah. But, uh, every now and then there'd be a scene that I was, like, checking my eyes to be like... Did they put the 3D print on the screen? But it's yeah. It it. You, I know exactly what you're saying. I had the same feeling. That, I mean, the way they they kind of had this technique occasionally where they would sort of almost artificially knock out the 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 2D aspect background element. You know, so so it did look like stuff was blurry, but that was totally intentional, and and you kind of got used to it. it. You did. Again, the movie is very quirky visually looking. It is not a standard looking. Modern cartoon. It's it has its own thing going for it, and that thing works very well. The character design is strong, and they mix character design. They too. do. Like that's the weird part. Like like when they bring in a other Spider-Man, there's their their Spider-People, I should say, or creatures, 
uh, all of their designs are completely unique, you know, and they somehow gel together in the same frame. It's pretty weird. Uh, and the voice uh, cameos are also great. Very good, yes. So, yes, so we both liked that one, and uh, what else? Did, did we... Uh, now I guess we'll move on to some movies with a live-action humans. I suppose. <laughs> you know, again, you know, we've spent so much of our po podcast history talking about superhero genre, and I just feel like it's it's so prevalent now, it's so everywhere that it's like you can't really avoid it and not talk about it, but, boy, it's nice to talk about non-superhero event movies yeah. once in a while. So, uh, so yeah, let's start naming them off, man. What, 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 what jumps at you from 2018? Well, one of my favorite movies of the summer, which I know is on both of our list, was uh, the latest Mission Impossible, Fallout, exactly. which was just a... Uh, you know, my son is finally old enough. I started showing him the Mission Impossible movies. You know, he's a 10-year-old boy, so he's you know, a shade young for some of the violence, but kind of right in the pocket for uh, wanting to appreciate ridiculous action. And, uh, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout, I just thought it was a great action movie. Yeah. That yeah. I was, you know, we saw it in the theater and start to finish. I mean, at one point I realized I'd probably been in my seat for about two hours. It was still kind of, like, tense in a good way, you know. Clinching <laughs> your butt cheeks. Yeah, it was um, just hats off. Good old Tom Cruise and team still pulling it off. Yeah. Uh, I also just want to give a shout-out to Christopher McQuarrie, who... Not really on a lot of people's list of like you know the best working directors, but that guy churns out some entertaining movies that flow together nicely. Right. I've heard some interviews with him, and when he makes a movie like that, it's a unique challenge, right? Because it's not, you know, different movies have their own challenges. But say a movie like Roma, Alfonso Cuarón had a story he wanted to tell, and he's just concerned about the story, and right? Christopher McQuarrie is concerned about the story, but then he also has to deal with things of, like, one of the world's biggest movie stars texts him late at night and says, I want this movie to have a helicopter chase. Right. So you're like, okay, well, so he has to figure out... Where, 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 where can we slot yeah. that in, Tom? How, how Tell do we, me. How do oh, we I have an Tom idea. And, 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 like, Christopher McQuarrie goes to bed like, motherfucker, That's Tom right. Cruise, right. man. And then, like, two months later, it's like, that was the fucking idea anybody's had so yeah. far on this film. I mean, he might have had a whole plan that, like, the entire movie is going to be set, like, on the ocean, right. and Tom Cruise could text him and be like, what if there's a battle in Antarctica? And you're like, well, yeah. that wasn't when I was planning for this adventure, yes. Tom, but... Uh, right. And then Tom Cruise will take none of the credit for it in, in any of the interviews and say, well, well, Chris came up with that one. And just like, what? Uh, I will say, though, he does make... It's, I mean, the movie's not a hot mess. It's not just a collection of set pieces. It flows. Yeah. No, it flows great. It's, you know, Mission Impossible is the, probably the most consistent uh, action movie franchise of possibly all time. There's really, I, in my opinion, there's not a stinker in the bunch. You know, people point at the second one. I happen to enjoy the super cheesiness of that film. We watched all of them again recently, like I was watching my son. And um, the second one, I would say, is the the worst but only in comparison right like not a disaster no 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 it, it suffers from cheesiness it sure. suffers from being the most of its time uh from and all the stylistic stuff and it's it also john woo movies and john woo really john woos it up you yeah know? you know there was kind of a i mean you and i remember there was there was a window in time when john woo was everyone bowed down to john woo and those times have passed <laughs> and now he's almost gone back to being underrated yeah 
Yeah, I think I think so. Well, you know, I mean, John Woo was one of those guys. He just used. He was so stylized in many ways, and had, you know, these specific tricks that he put into every film, like as a little signature, and that stuff can get old. Yeah, uh, and it did, in <laughs> fact, get old. But uh, but you know, uh, again, I the, the, w- without without going all like Mission Impossible on this, the fallout was terrific. Great action, great set pieces, fun new characters. You know what can you say? It, it was just a, it was just a killer addition to the the franchise and a, the just the best like realistic action yeah. movie of the year. That was probably can my you call favorite. It realistic? I don't know. That's probably my favorite of like the summer quote fun movies. Yeah. But uh, then you know I've seen a lot of smaller films I really quite liked. Let's start with maybe some of the. The more obvious ones people have heard of, like, we can weigh in on. Like, what what have you seen that's also getting a lot of play in awards, awards time? You know, in awards time, not, you know, honestly, not much. You just sort of, like, you, the, 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 the first Reformed has a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of buzz about it. That's the Paul Schrader picture about yeah. a priest kind of. Uh, coming unraveled, uh, and uh, I saw the film. I liked it. It's engaging. It's suspenseful. It's sort of the genre of like slow loss of sanity, you know. And sure. uh, and Schrader is good at that. Clearly, he's the man who wrote Taxi Driver, after all. Uh, and this has similar elements to Taxi Driver. Uh, it's um, I don't know, man. It's one of those movies that, at the, like, as much as, like, it holds you in its grip when you're watching it, it leaves you a little bit empty at the end. And, and, and that's just kind of, like, how I felt about it. Like, I watched it, and I was sort of like, nah, okay. It's yeah. the end. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I haven't seen that movie, but that movie, um, and it, it is, I know, streaming on Amazon now. For mm-hmm. uh, So I, I, I meant, I want to check it out. One of the things I find most fascinating about that movie is when it came out, the reviews are kind of like how you described. Like, I guess, lightly positive, but not overwhelmingly so. Like, right. I remember noticing that uh, the movie itself seemed kind of interesting to me, but I'm a little lukewarm on Schrader. That you know, I, yeah. I like you know his highs are certainly unassailable, but especially as a director, I, you know, it's not necessarily one of my favorites. Yeah. And then I was quite surprised that then when everyone's putting out their best of the year. Um, that movie's quite that movie's high on, on a lot it. Yeah. of lists. Yeah. yeah, that movie. That, that movie's high. Well, you know, it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a fairly political film, and uh, you know, it's 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 politics will you know will score it extra points in this day and age. Uh, but um, I don't know. It it it's. I have mixed feelings about it. Again, I have mixed feelings about it because it left me so empty at the end. But uh, I liked it visually. It's 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 as a cinematographer, it's kind of it's shot in a four three aspect ratio, so it's a square frame. You uh, that's been you know, unusual. Uh, you know, usually people always make the frame as wide as they can. This guy kind of locks it in into the old like sort of Academy Television frame, and uh, and so the. The, the way it's shot is interesting. The way the composition is is interesting. Uh, I, I like Ethan Hawke's performance. I, actually, I like all the performances in the film. There's there's some good good acting in the movie. But uh, again, overall, left me cold. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the yeah. season. You know, I have some mixed feelings about another 
a movie that's getting on a lot of top of lists is here, and that's Aroma, the new Alfonso mm-hmm. Cuarón movie that's on Netflix. It's a Netflix. Uh, I mean, I guess they didn't finance it from the start, but they purchased it right. as an independent thing. They, they own it. Um, you know, Roma is a case where, you know, sometimes you see a movie and it's been overhyped, and then by the time you see it, it's almost hard. Like, what's it going to be? So I like Curon in general. He's my favorite of that generation of Mexican directors, along with Inaratu and uh, Del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think he's the best. Uh, the movie's quite good. I guess, you know, I went in being like, surely this will be a masterpiece. Mm. And that's not how I felt. Um, you know, I saw it recently, maybe after it rattles around in my head a little bit. It is for anyone who knows what this term means. It's a neorealist film. I mean, very much it takes place in Mexico, but it is right in the pocket of, like, you know, the, the bicycle, bicycle thief, thief or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a slice of life. takes place in 1970 in Mexico. Let's call it Roma. It's called just its name, Roma, because the other major neorealist film, of course, is called Roma Open City. That's right. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, right there in the title, a little homage. The Roma also is uh, it's a neighborhood in Mexico City, apparently. See? There and, you go. Uh, um, he tied it all in. And that movie did make me think about Trying to figure out, like, what would you, what's your definition of good directing in a movie? Because that movie has a lot of really, the camera movement is magnificent. Like, just uh, the shots are beautiful. Kiron, I believe, shot the movie himself. And so there's a lot of really well orchestrated scenes. But then it's, you know, it is quite slow moving. In some ways, it doesn't have a lot of zip to it. And, uh, and maybe that's just because I've been ruined by uh, my son watching. Infinity War and Black yeah, Panther yeah. too much. Too many, so yeah, too many superhero movies. To reacquaint my for brain, you, but uh, uh, but Roma's quite good. So I guess my thoughts on Roma are, it, I liked it. I thought it was good. I did not, you know, turn off my TV and be like, man, that movie was fantastic. <laughs> so um, yeah, I have a little bit of mixed feelings about yeah, that. I, Certainly I, nothing bad, but not um, right. Some reservations about presentation. Yeah, it, 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 that's that's that makes sense. I mean, it also kind of goes in line with, and Roma's maybe different because most of the people championing Roma are people who are into, say, art cinema. You know, it's not necessarily being screamed about from uh, you know the teens of the world, <laughs> but, right. but it does fall into something that has bugged me for years now, which is that. I'm sure you see this too, Andre. It's like everything's either a masterpiece or it's shitty. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Not like always. Just because I don't think something is a uh, you know the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just... Right. It's okay to have so- certain reservations about films, and and I mean if you're if you can really analyze movies, you should be able to to say, well, I enjoyed this and I didn't enjoy that. I, I, I think movies are very difficult to make, and if you've ever made one, you can appreciate what it takes to make even a shitty movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when a movie turns out to be pretty good, it's miraculous. And when a movie turns out to be very good, as I, I believe is the case with Roma, even though I haven't seen it yet, I, I'm going to take it for granted based on, on the filmmaker that, that it is very good. Uh, it could still have uh, things that uh, maybe are not quite uh, quite there or don't do it for the individual viewer. Um, it's funny, we were talking about, you, know, like you mentioned the award season, you know, we, we often do pre-Oscar shows, I and mean, we may do one this year as yeah. well, but, but, uh, or post-Oscar, however we feel like it, because it's our show. Uh, <laughs> Check with our spot. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the... 
funnily enough, the Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen uh, film, is uh, now like getting Oscar buzz because it is. won Best Picture and the Golden Globes, uh, beating out you know other movies that nobody has seen you know and it's a very successful film i'm assuming you have not seen the bohemian rhapsody i have not seen bohemian rhapsody and um the the biggest issue is uh those who know me is uh about to alienate one of our five Uh-oh. listeners uh-huh. but, uh, maybe all five all of them, them. are you kidding <laughs> yeah. me all five of them i don't really like queen oh jesus i dude. know that is, that is sacrilege this so, day and age. You're um, supposed to love Queen. Don't you, haven't you gotten a memo? Well, I've had more than one friend try to convince me that the movie is worthwhile even if you don't like Queen. Right. So, Andre is someone who I know. You at least like some Queen. I do. Uh, what did you think of Bohemian Rhapsody? Well, Bohemian Rhapsody is a prime example of what I was saying before. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody is by no means a great film. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody is, you know, is kind of scattershot, and it's very surfacy. It, it You know, it doesn't seriously get into Freddie Mercury Freddie Mercury's actual life in a deep way you know just it's surfacy you know but it, it touches upon the band and stuff like that and it tries to be fun at the same time it's a fun story about a guy dying of AIDS sure. so but but uh, it's actually not about that it barely gets into that to be honest with you and again it keeps it fun it's very entertaining the recreations of the performances are awesome absolutely breathtaking Robbie Malik does a does a good job but I have big reservations about his performance oh like, really oh big reservations that's been one of the big selling points what are, I know what are your reservations? I like Robbie Malik when Robbie Malik is on stage performing as Freddie, it's great. When Robbie Malik is off stage being Freddie, I'm not buying that character at all because I've seen interviews with Freddie, and and Robbie Malik is plays Freddie like a total friggin' alien weirdo, whose like perception of the world is very kind of tenuous and. And, and detached and stuff like that. And Freddie seemed like a very warm, charming, debonair individual that I don't think that I'm seeing on screen when 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 Rami Malek is there. My favorite thing about everything you just said is I feel like you just described Prince's performance in Purple Rain, except Prince was playing himself, so maybe that's even worse. (laughs) Well, yes, exactly. I think the only person to play Freddie Mercury would have, in fact, been Freddie Mercury. But, again, Rami Malek does a fantastic job at at the thing. I just really, really found his performance in the non-musical scenes as somewhat detached and uh, and and a little bit detached of emotion. I was not emotionally invested in in what he was doing at all. Huh. So that's Is it too much imitation? Cuz sometimes I I found that in biopics that to me sometimes my favorite performances in a biopic even if it's not the lead role is almost when the actor just doesn't worry as much about the mannerisms yeah and just gives me a character you know like just yeah. let me create a believable character and and i know sometimes it's very hard especially with someone who has a lot of footage and sometimes it's almost insurmountable i remember uh walk the line the johnny cash movie i mean i think joaquin phoenix is one of our better actors uh-huh. but just johnny cash is such an iconic right i mean either 
you're Johnny Cash or you're someone who's just pretending to be Johnny right. Cash? <laughs> like, right. I never for a second bought him as Johnny Cash. Right, uh, right. But uh, interesting. So, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. So do yeah. you think I should see it even if I don't like Queen? Well, again, the, the, and, and here's the... the the, the, the weird duality of that film for me is that I still enjoy the movie. I think it's a very enjoyable film in spite of the fact that I had reservations about, you know, a lot of aspects of it, including its structure, its tone, and its lead performance. <laughs> uh, and yet somehow I could say, yeah, you'll enjoy that. But you may not, in fact, enjoy that because you're not a fan of Queen's music. So, like, if the music annoys you, you're like, oh, okay, so this is what it took to get this shitty song made. So, yeah. You know, so I don't know. It's, it'd be interesting, be an interesting experiment for you to see that film and see how far you get in it. You might love it. But I have a feeling you won't. Well, uh, speaking of uh, biopics that one of us has seen, not the other one, I saw Vice recently. (laughs) And uh, Christian Bale actually was quite good in his uh, performance of Dick Cheney. Um, If you've seen the previews, he, uh, I I mean, he really nails the side talking, (laughs) which is, I mean, just a commitment to the monotone side talking. Uh, But Christian Bale is very good. Vice itself is. uh, I overall felt positive about it. It is kind of a, a mess. I mean, you could argue that this is, you could say it's an accurate biopic because, I mean, a person's life doesn't have a good start and an end, Andre. I mean, other than death, of course. But, um, you know, the, it's not necessarily that if you're going through your life in chronological order, you know, the most important parts of your life aren't necessarily at the end. Or uh, the beginning, you know, it's right. hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if your life has eight chapters, then, you know, maybe chapter six is the important one. Uh, who knows? It's tough. It's tough. Um, but Biopics are tough. Yeah, Vice is, uh, it's, it's just kind of scattershot in that it wants to tell you a lot of things. It, I, you and I are both a fan of treating real-life events as a black comedy. I would yes. actually like to see more of that. Um, People have dipped their toes in the water of it. So far, I've been disappointed in a lot of it. I remember that movie, um, The Informant. The Informant. Oh, yeah. Well, The Informant just... Failed at that, yes. Yeah, like I was very into the concept of The Informant, and it was not the movie I wanted it to be. And Vice is... I don't know. I don't even know what the percentage is of it. It's just that it's it's half a wha- it's half a farce, but then other parts of it are very serious. Yeah. Then they incorporate a decent amount of... Uh, real life news footage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it just felt like they didn't have a good handle on the through line that uh you know this is adam mckay's follow-up to the big short the big short which i quite like and i thought the big short told a fairly complicated story in an easy to understand way like i got the big short right and i also you know adam mckay famously is this is the man who directed talladega nights and anchorman and came from saturday night live and in the big and short, did not direct holmes and watson by the way that's <laughs> correct I, I, yeah it was not so good I don't uh, know. <laughs> uh but you know the big short incorporated comedic touches in a way that i felt i thought most of the jokes he did in that worked mm-hmm. and some of the jokes and vice don't don't land as much um, similarly, I had a major problem with Steve Carell as Rumsfeld, uh-huh. which is kind of interesting because I've seen Steve Carell be a very good actor. There was the, do you remember the wrestling movie? Sure, the wrestling movie. Uh, his title I'm forgetting. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, but 
That movie had Fox problems, catcher. but Steve Carell—that's Foxcatcher, good one. Steve Carell was great in that. I thought that sure. he is Steve Carell's been great in a lot of movies. Well, but then this is this performance is way closer to his Anchorman performance than it is. It's not Steve right. Carell. Yes. Uh, serious actor. It's Steve Carell. Not guest- understanding what movie he's in. Well, it's Steve Carell guest host Saturday Night Live, and then in this skit, he's Don Rumsfeld. Yeah. So, which is kind of a bummer because Don Rumsfeld is actually in a lot of the movie. Like, yeah. at, certainly way more than uh, George W. Bush. Right. Whereas, like, Sam Rockwell's George W. Bush is a guy I maybe could have spent more time with. Sure. I mean, it seems from the commercial you could spend like days with that character. Well, it's supposed to be. That's real life too, right? Like in theory, <laughs> if we met these men, that uh, W we'd want to hang out with more than Rumsfeld. Like probably, Rumsfeld seems probably not as much fun. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, the movies. Oh, if it does have an overall point, it's that even if you thought parts of this were charming or whatever, that uh, he does want to make sure you're aware that. You know, in the halls of power, sometimes guys go behind closed doors and debate some pieces of paper, and the result of that is uh, many miles away, people die. So <laughs> he wants you to focus on that. That's that happens, and uh, so I don't know. It's yeah, uh, it's, it, it's, it's worth seeing. It's it's not. I can kind of see how I was very excited for that movie, mm-hmm, me too. and then I noticed before I saw it, it, it was not on a lot of best of the year lists, and I can kind of see why. Um, but it's uh, it critically underperformed. It's a solid like B. Yeah. I wanted to see it. I just uh, you know I thought the trailer was so goddamn entertaining, and I actually thought like if they gave out Oscars for the trailer, like Christian Bale needs an Oscar for that because it's just such a you know again like he puts on a lot of weight. It's a total transformation. I know they do prosthetic work on him, but man, that that just looks great. I mean, it does. It looks freaking I never you know, for like a minute didn't buy it. You know, and he and it's not that he looks like. Dick Cheney, you know, like anybody can put on a prosthetic. I mean, there's like this whole, his whole vibe, not just, you know, like you mentioned the side talking, but also the the look in his eyes. He just has that, you know, he just has that ability to lock in on you that's so similar to the way Cheney actually does it, but but also like its own thing. I don't know. Well, you know, kind of related to the ne- side talking. Next level shit, I think. He really nailed the, like, something about Cheney. Every time I've seen that man in footage or whatnot or a photograph, you're always like, is he smirking at me? Right. And Bale really nailed that. And that, and, and, and that he nailed that. It's not, he's not obviously smirking. Right. But you're still, you're like, is he, he's kind of smart? Like what? But anyway, Vice. Vice, uh, Vice, very good. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's very good. The what Vice trailer is very good. I don't know about the movie, okay? Back me up on that. But, uh, you know, I remember we also saw A Quiet Place together, right? We did, And yeah. uh, that's kind of, that falls under the radar a little bit, but that was a solid horror film from last year, right? Very Got a good, lot yeah. of attention when it came out with the... Uh, yeah, I mean, A Quiet Place, I almost went into it the opposite of my Roma expectations, where I'm like, all right, John Krasinski, how good can this be? And uh, while not blowing me away at the same time, I was like, that's a solid movie. Solid movie. Solid movie. Solid movie. It's a great, simple premise. Yep. Um, yeah, A Quiet Place is good. It kind of takes a tonal shift towards the end. It does. It does. Um, which I, I didn't necessarily love, but it didn't sink it. No. By any means. Certainly not. Certainly did not sink it. Uh, I liked it. 
Yeah, it was it was what it was. You know, I mean, it, it offered a like an exciting thrill ride. It kind of delivered that. I thought the he worked the characters pretty well, where you were invested in characters, where you were, you know, you know with every single character in that family, uh, and uh, the monsters were pretty original. I thought, you know, I've seen I, that design before, so that was cool. I watch a lot of horror movies only around October. I like right. to kind of watch a lot in the Halloween the spirit. Halloween-y. And um, I can't remember where I read this, but I kind of feel like my favorite horror movies, there's two completely opposite categories, where, like, the best horror movies to me are either ones where a very simple premise right. that I can describe to you in one sentence, uh-huh. or... It's a really bizarre, creepy movie that it's very hard to even describe what's weird about it. Right. But anything in the middle of it gets too, like, overly plot-centric. But what was great about A Quiet Place is, you know, it's like, okay, what's the deal? All right, there's been some sort of alien invasion, and you can't make any noise or the aliens will kill you. Right. And you're like, okay. Now, execution's another thing. But at least in terms of premise, that's the premise. Right. And you can be like, oh, that sounds it. So then, you know, the follow-up question, if you, I tell you, like, what's it about? You're like, well, is it, is it good? Is it scary? And it, it is scary. Like, it's a, it's a well-done genre movie. Exactly. exactly. And, and that's, I think, that, that goes a long way, you know, because there's a lot of... Uh, that genre gets a lot of entries uh, every year. Because sure. that genre actually is one of the few genres that makes money on a consistent basis. So it's definitely... Um, like a, a lot of people dip their toes in that in in horror, and John Krasinski did a did a good job of the film. So again, pretty pretty solid, uh, and uh, and not at least not a disappointment. I mean, there were a, there there were a few films this year that were just fucking bad, you know, just just not like were disappointing, and and. Uh, you know, the fucking Ant-Man movie I thought was shitty, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't hate Solo as much as you did. Well, Solo, I, a caveat is that uh, Solo I saw at the drive-in. Yeah. So, and it was the first movie, so it, I, I enjoy going to the drive-in with my family. Uh, it's technically a rough slog if it's a movie you've never seen before. <laughs> So I w- I'm actually looking forward to maybe watching Solo where I can hear all the dialogue uh-huh. and uh, some of the scenes that might help. are more clearly defined. That, will, yeah, that so. will be helpful, I'll tell you right now, because it doesn't have a bad script at all. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, you, you, you can get into a big bog talking about Star Wars, certainly all, all of us can. You know, again, I, I, I'd say give it a chance. It's certainly not as bad as people say it was. Yeah. I don't know what the problem was. A lot of people had issues with it. I thought the narrative was pretty strong. I mean, yes, it's not Harrison Ford, but, uh, you know, I mean, I thought that, that guy did a pretty pretty decent job. So it's, uh, well, what, what can you say? I mean, another uh, uh, a disappointment, I want to shout out a couple, like, anti-shout-out? What's uh-huh. it called when you're pointing out things that are bad? I don't know. Shaming? Throw, throw some shade yeah, at them. That's right. Um, I want to mention Ready Player One, uh-huh. mainly for how forgettable it was. But, I mean, Spielberg certainly is... Spielberg's a great filmmaker. He's a master filmmaker. He's made some masterpieces. He also, this isn't like the first bad movie he's ever made. Oh, no. He's made some bad ones. Sure. But, you know, I feel like first, his only movie this year. It's been a while. And the thing that disappointed me the most is Ready Player One to me is almost the epitome of a movie that flashes a bunch of shit in front of you. 
and then two days later you can't even remember what it was about that uh it just left me feeling so empty and also it was a strange movie that you know i had not read that book mm. but watching that movie the stakes got lower as the movie went along. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning of the movie, it feels like, you know, you're trying to stop the end of the world, and by the end of the movie, you're kind of like, why did anybody care so much about that? That doesn't, like, even the characters in the movie didn't seem to care. Right, but, right. Um, well, when I was trying to think of, the, you know, the movies to include in this show, I totally forgot about Ready Player One. Exactly. And, and, and I remember it was like a big thing when, when uh, my son and I went to see it. I was like, he was really excited. And, and I tell you, we were both, we were both like, oh, that was pretty good, and yeah. then, and then, literally, like the worst kind of junk food. Done. It's completely out of our heads. It's 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 really too 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 bad. Yeah. One other movie I just want a really quick shout out. The movie that I was like, this is the worst thing I saw all year, mm-hmm. and that's the movie A Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> and uh, A Wrinkle in Time is based off this beloved kids beloved. book, which I had never read. I've and read then, it. Well, in anticipation for the movie, we read it with my son, and uh, again... I remember it fondly. I didn't really know much about it, and then when you read it, first of all, that book is weird. It yeah, is an I don't unusual... Remember, I don't remember the book at all, but I remember it fondly. It you is very saying? strange. Um, it's... A, yeah, it's, I'm not going to get into the plot of A Wrinkle in Time, because that would be its own hour-long podcast, because it's very odd. The thing about it is, okay, so we watched that movie... That movie's terrible. I'm just going to say it. It's terrible. It does all the things, like, the when people complain about Hollywood adaptations of beloved books, it does all of them. Like, it flattens out the weirdness. It takes strange, older characters and has them played by younger, pretty people. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it emits, it just does a lot of terrible things. And the thing I find interesting is it's directed by this woman named Anna DuVernay. And... You know, I did not see the documentary she did about the 13th Amendment that I've told is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am sympathetic to the idea that there should be more female filmmakers. You know, so we should champion female filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly female filmmakers like, say, Jane Campion, who are, like, very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Anna DuVernay gets, like, a lot of positive press, and I don't really see it. Like, I saw this movie, Selma, she did, and... Selma is about, you know, very... It's about the civil rights. It's about March and Selma. Um, That movie, from a directing standpoint, just artistically, it's very pedestrian. Very felt like I was watching a TV movie. (laughs) The music choices are, like, obvious and, you know, and schmaltzy. And so I was like, why is this... And then now, so this... She directed A Wrinkle in Time... And I feel like people want to champion her so much that they're just going light on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> when in fact people should be going light. Yeah, because like, I saw it long after the reviews came out. And the reviews were not... I Savage? Mean, yeah. Like, they were kind of mediocre-ish. I mean, no one was, like, saying, yeah, it's great. Or, you know, they would praise this or that aspect. But I'm just here to tell you, that movie's bad. So I do not recommend anybody sees that. But if anybody, like, starts to talk up Anna DuVernay as being some great new director just want to remind you that she directed A Wrinkle in Time, which was hands down the worst 2018 release I saw. All right, buddy. I'm not going to rush out for that one. (laughs) 
like I haven't before. I also, in the un- overrated category, pains me to say that the Clint Eastwood's mule is ah. is a friggin' slog, and it's really, I mean, and again, I, I actually, Clint, the actor, does a fine job in the film. Clint, the director, is unbelievably lazy, and and, and, and this movie is, is severely short on ideas. It's just pounds the same notion into you know into the script on a, on a, every 10 minutes it's stuff is repeated over and over again and uh, like we get it I understand that family is the most important thing in life but it's just I just don't need to be explicitly told so by every stinking character in the film and the way it plays out is terrible it's it's literally I mean I hated the ending of the film I, I didn't I didn't it just sucked, and uh, I'm sorry to say that. I, I think this. I, I think Clint Eastwood may, in fact, be getting too old to direct. Uh, I, I really, I really do. Or, and and it and again, it pains me to say it because he, you know he's one of my favorites. And and uh, uh, or at least he may be getting too old to direct and act at the same time in his movies. Like he needs to stick to one. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just not. It, it, it was just too. I mean, it was. It was just kind of lazy from a filmmaking perspective. It, it really was. So that was a. That was a little bit of a of a disappointment. But sliding over into streaming services. Sure. Um, a thriller that I really liked was The Apostle. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen it, but you're not the first to uh, to mention that. Yeah, yeah. that's a weird-ass movie. And what you were saying before about streaming services allowing filmmakers... Okay, this is this guy's Gareth Evans, who really started his careers in, in Asian cinema. He made the... Uh, Raid The movies, Raid right? movies. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly yeah. these sort of amazing action films that you know, are instantly super influential and made stars out of its stars. And, uh, and this guy, you know, made this movie, the apostle, which is completely different from those movies. I mean, it's, it's a period piece. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a, the subgenre would be the cult film. Okay. Yeah. There's a cult on an island, and it's the early 20th century. And, sure. Uh, kind of into those movies, and, actually. And yeah. a guy infiltrates the cult looking for his sister, and uh, he's a weirdo, and it's weird things happen, and you find out what the what god they're worshiping, and all that stuff. It's it's weird. It's engaging. It's not for everybody. Again, it's it's kind of an art film. It goes into some crazy places that will surprise you and uh and it's got a kind of a cool ending and uh and dan stevens the star of that movie is freaking great man that guy's an awesome actor oh, i didn't that, realize that, he was the star yeah, yeah he's yeah. the star of the film so it's the you know the guy who stars in the show that we like legion, uh, legion yeah and uh and has done a lot of interesting stuff over the years he's very different in this film and uh and uh it's just fun it's it's really it's really good, Steve. I, 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 I recommend recommend you check that one out. You know, another streaming movie I know we've both seen is uh, the Coen Brothers. The, had, a, uh, the had a movie with a strange origin story that was going to be a, a Netflix TV show. Mm-hmm. And then it was announced that it uh, magically turned into a movie. Right. Uh, that is, of course, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Right. What which, do you think happened there, Steve? You know, I, I have yet to 
delve into like the world of interviews to see any confirmation about this. Right. But you know, the movie is episodic. Right. And, and seemingly not, you know, not really connected episodic. Like right. Story. Right. It's it's an so, anthology. What I think maybe happened was they had an eight-episode anthology planned, and then they started shooting, and we're kind of like, I don't know that there's enough here. Right. But they're like, each of those episodes didn't warrant an hour. You know? Each Absolutely. One, and, uh, which is one thing I have always kind of liked about the Coen brothers. I mean, the Coen brothers famously released a director's cut of Blood Simple years later. Uh-huh. Which was shorter than the original one that they, uh, they tightened it up a little. Yeah, bit. exactly. That they're shaved, <laughs> shaved a couple of minutes off here. Finally, you know, years later, given the chance to like release the movie they really <laughs> wanted to release, they're like, you know, we've gotten better, and this could be uh, gonna cut yeah, this shit right out. Exactly. So I love that. Uh, so that's I my thing that is that I movie. think they just decided that they had stuff they liked, but it just didn't really merit all that much. Um, so now we have this movie and which I, I mean, I enjoyed as I, I love the Coen brothers. I enjoyed it as something to watch on my couch on first viewing, um, as an overall movie, I didn't love it. I just wound up like, you know, like some stories I kind of liked and other ones I was like, yeah. And in particular, um, the final one kind of bugged Right. We'll delve into that, but uh, so right. what, did, what did you think about that? I mean, I, first of all, I think your analysis of what actually happened is right on the money. I think they basically, you know, they try to shoot an hourly episode of something, and and then when they started putting it together as filmmakers, they were like, you know, this is not enough. Yeah. This is not enough for an hour's episode. Uh, it's not enough for a half-hour's episode. So they just kind of consolidated everything, and uh, it's probably all right. I, I mean, and, and again, anthology, wildly uneven. I got to tell you, that I liked some of the episodes. Yeah. And I'll just call them episodes. I actually liked the opener with Buster Scruggs himself. It was, was wacky, yeah, yeah. enjoyable, weirdly violent, and pretty entertaining. Right? That was great. The The next one was uh, was the James Franco one. Pan right? shot. Right. The pan <laughs> shot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, I liked that one, too, because it was incredibly short. It was like a four-minute episode. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, they're just like, it, it's a little joke and that's it. Then, like, what was the next one? The Liam Neeson one? Uh, uh, hated yeah, yeah, hated yeah. the Liam Neeson yeah. one. Powerfully hated it. Just hated it. I uh, hated the way, the just, I just hated it. Uh, then uh, the one after that, which one was that? Was that the the Tom Waits one? I don't remember the order. There, there certainly was the Tom Waits one. So Tom I, Waits that one. one was pretty good. Loved the Tom Waits yeah. one. Tom Waits one was very, very good. It told a story. Tom Waits gives a great Tom Waits performance and one of his actually best performances. Yeah. The episode has like a lot of drama in it, and yet it's like a kind of a one-man show. It's really good. Um, then the, the 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 one after that was the Stagecoach episode. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually really loved that one. That was actually my favorite one, even though it's a bit of a bummer. Uh, I, I well, really I mean the the. The argument's been made is that if anything holds these stories together, it's that life in the West was harsh. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the, well, the story is it takes an absurdist and humorous view of that statement. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, death can come at any time yeah. and 
Yeah. Quickly and all of a sudden. Tragically and that's it. and pointlessly. Yeah. And you never know. And and it's it's I I found that episode like first of all I found because because I've never really seen the actors who were in that film. I never saw the. I, I think no, I think I've seen the woman who played the lead in that episode. Yeah, and I've seen the guy who plays fact. the yeah. lead in that episode too. And I never really noticed them before. I thought they were outstanding. I thought their relationship was 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 very moving to me. I, I don't know. I was moved by the whole story. It really was the closest thing to a movie within the ballad of Buster yeah. Scruggs, like a real movie with heart and characters and emotions and an interesting narrative that sort of rang true and it wasn't just a wacky concoction by a couple of filmmakers in 2018. You know, uh, it's so. I don't know. It's it's. I, I really like. I really love that one. And then the final one was the stagecoach, and that had some great dialogue. It did. It did have some good dialogue. It's the the thing that bothered me about that one is it was the maybe the first time I've ever watched a Coen Brothers movie, and thought technically it was just shitty. Like I just could not. I was very aware. I was watching people on a set. Pretending to ride in a stagecoach. Like, I thought the projections outside the stagecoach were terrible. I thought the uh, the hotel or whatever where they wound up looked fakey. And it's just... It really yeah. took me out of it, to be really, honest. Which really. is... Uh, I, uh, a thing I've never... Because one of the things about the Coen brothers is they are one of our most, like, technically proficient filmmakers to the point where no one even remarks on it. Right. I mean, like, their movies have some really audacious tricks in some of them. I mean, if you think about something like the Big Lebowski and the dream oh, totally. sequences yeah. and like they just have some crazy special effects that are just handled seamlessly. I mean, just completely... Not the case this time. No. Yeah. And yeah. so I mean, I will say, I like the Coen brothers so much that sometimes I don't have a good handle on their movies on the first viewing. Right. I mean, I fam- you know, not famously, nobody gave a shit, but... <laughs> The first time I saw, even the first two times I saw The Big Lebowski, I was kind of like, I don't know, it's funny in places, it seems kind of a mess. And then now I think it's great, and I feel like a bit of an idiot that I didn't see that. I I would, I I would probably give this one another viewing too, because you know one of the things they do in this with this anthology concept is they don't, you you know, they're just not. They they make different western stories within this film, but they also use very different references to the western storytelling in the film. So different films have different homages to different filmmakers who made. well, I mean, who made westerns over the decades of, you know, film history where people have made westerns. So, you know, so there's like a, well, like, you know, like the opener is kind of an homage to these silly singing cowboy movies that were also strangely violent at the same yeah. time. So, so it's it's an homage and it's also kind of a parody of that. And then like the the James Franco one had a Leone vibe to it. It had sort of this this you know, fatalistic view of things. And um, that that stagecoach thing at the end definitely had a stagecoach vibe, but it also had a stage vibe. The stage vibe that's very similar to what John Ford did in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, where the movie just feels like it was shot on a big stage. Yeah. Like it's just a stage play where it's not even a movie. Uh, and uh, that was very weird when John Ford did that, like in 19... 19- 
58 or whatnot. But, you know, but now it feels weird. Now it feels very like it's artificy. I know what you're saying about that last one. And it's a little annoying the way it ends, too. It's very much like, eh, bye-bye. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, sometimes I I remember in a Burn After Reading, another <laughs> Coen Brothers movie, mm-hmm. like uh, th- that movie to me just ends very abruptly, but in a way I found hilarious. Right. <laughs> it just seemed like, well, that's enough of this shit. Let's yeah. move on. <laughs> and uh, and that cracked me up. But this one less so. But I don't know. Maybe I'm... it might it might grow on you. I, I think it might be a grower. Uh... And in some ways, I almost found that the the high ranking of that movie to me was a bit of a testament to maybe not being an overall masterpiece released this year. Right, right. That people saw that and just the fact that it was a decent movie by beloved filmmakers, all of a sudden they're like, it's the fourth best movie of the year. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's weird. You know, the movie that's actually uh, really ripping up all the lists is, is a very, very weird movie called Mandy with Nicolas Cage, one of yeah. our favorites. And I know you you haven't seen Mandy. I've seen Mandy, Steve. And that is a batshit crazy-ass movie. Yeah. And, and I honestly don't know what to make of it. Like, I watched it. I was engaged in it. I don't know what I took away from it from a perspective of, like, well, what's this movie really about? I don't know. Uh, it, I mean, it is... It's pulpy. It's ultra-violent. It has what you want from Nicolas Cage, which is crazy overacting. I think he takes it to the next level here, Steve. I think there's a scene there where he drinks an entire bottle of, like, gin or something in the bathroom that's uh, that's as Nicolas Cagey as anything Nicolas Cage has ever yeah, done. Yeah, Nicolas Cage, we could almost... We, we might be due for a Nicolas Cage podcast. Revisit? <laughs> well, because Nicolas Cage is an interesting guy. So then like, we'd have to watch a lot of shitty movies. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> so, like... He's sometimes he's in really horrible things. Then other times he does stuff where you're like, that's one of the better performances I've seen in years. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, this movie Mandy is so crazy. I mean, it's like I'm like just quickly perusing some best of list. It's at the top of quite a few best of lists of the year. Okay. So this filmmaker Panos Cosmatos. I don't know if he's related to the guy who directed uh, Rambo: First Blood. Oh. Part two, uh, of course, but John Cosmatos, but uh, but uh, probably. I think he is. Hollywood. Actually. I uh, remember hearing that. I mean, it is a crazy tripped out. It was a. It, it's super psychedelic. Not. It's a bad trip. It's not a good trip. Uh, extremely violent, crazy, like sort of a cult movie. Like remember, I was saying like. Uh, 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 the Apostle is a cult movie. This is like one of those cult movies where, like, the cult kidnaps a dude's wife, and then it becomes the quest to find his wife, and so on and so forth. So, so that's the movie in a nutshell. But I mean, talk about a nutshell. I mean, that movie is completely insane. And here's my take on it: I was fascinated by it. I've never seen anything quite like it. I cannot say what my actual feelings about it are. Like, I don't know whether I like the film or not. And I've talked to people, like, casually who had such a strong hatred for Mandy. Hated it. That literally, like, the and they couldn't understand any human being liking Mandy because the movie was so insane. Wow, yeah. You know, they were offended yeah. that somebody would recommend a film like this to them. That's, you know... That reminds me a little bit of a movie I've seen that I know you haven't that kind of flew under the radar called Border. 
which is a Swedish film. Mm -hmm. uh, it's written by the same person who wrote Let the Right One In. Uh -huh. Kind of a Swedish good one. Good film. vampire. Yeah. Both, Very good film. Both movies are based off a short story by the same screenwriter. And uh, Border is a movie... It, it's hard to talk about without spoiling major parts of it because it has a couple twists in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was... I was just amazed by it. Like you say, if it's someone who watches a lot of movies, it's always kind of interesting when you watch something and you're like, you know, I've never seen anything quite like that before. And this movie certainly falls in that category. Parts of it are very sweet, and then parts of it are like some of the most horrible things you can think of. <laughs> and uh, from what I've heard, I, I've not talked to... I'm the only person I know who's seen Border, but from what I've read, it's similar reactions. And some mm -hmm. people are like, that's the shittiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then I first even heard about the movie right. was uh, someone in the New Yorker had a great article where they bought a ticket to it by mistake. And they were like, I mean, the title of the article is like, I walked in the border and it kind of changed my life. And I, I don't go that far. But, right. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it's a movie. It's in Swedish. Um, I'm trying. I'm pretty sure no one you've ever seen in the movie right, before. Right. No scars guards in this film. Yeah, but that said, I mean, it is, I mean, I guess it's an independent movie, but it's very well done. And I will say it's, it's not, it's a narrative movie. It's not experimental in form, mm -hmm. but as a narrative movie, it's one of the weirder movies I've ever seen. So if you're in, if you're on the lookout for something unusual that you might uh, find somewhere between beautiful and disgusting, uh, check out Border. There you go. Or, or check uh, out Mandy. Mandy yeah. I mean, these are like I don't know what kind of rec. Are we recommending these movies? I'm scared. I don't want any of our five listeners to like come after <laughs> me angrily and go, "You motherfucker! What? You made me watch Mandy? Are you crazy?" Uh, so don't watch it in front of the kids. Obviously, that's probably yeah. not a good idea. Border, I should mention, at some point, children are harmed. I know that's always a deal yeah, breaker for yeah, my yeah. wife. Some people don't like. Uh, that. Some people like that warning. So right. Border, there are right. children that are harmed. Right, right, right. absolutely, and uh, probably don't do any like heavy psychedelics before you watch Mandy. Well, I feel like the description you gave me made it sound like that might have. No, I said heavy <laughs> psychedelics. You could have a beer or scotch or, like, drink a bottle of gin like, oh, like okay. Nick Cage does in the movie. But, but uh, you know, stay away from the severe, you know, the heavy. I haven't heard yet about it. There's a game where if you drink a bottle of gin at the same moment Nicolas Cage does in the movie, what it's like the... Oh, that the could Mandy be, drinking game. The Mandy drinking we game. We could be honest. That, that could there. be something. There's a, he does quite a we bit. We should of market that for that. the uh, home video. Right. And some smoking as well, which I have to give you a heads up. There's some interesting smoking uh, fun that happens in the film. But uh, but you know, again, mysterious non recommendations, and uh, you know, you just gotta gotta see if that's it's your cup of tea. So uh, I know we're probably wrapping up, but anything else under the radar you want to mention? You know, again, I, I some of the streaming stuff were not actually movies. I liked some miniseries. Uh, Godless on Netflix was really awesome. Uh, it, with you know, it's it's western. It's really smart and interesting and engaging and different, but not so different that it's trying to reinvent the wheel. It's very good. Homecoming is a is on Amazon and. Uh, 
It's with Julia Roberts. It's, you know, it's on their front page. It's, uh, it's cool. It's a drama in half-hour installments. So yeah. it's easy to digest. It has no fat. It gets right to the point. And it just has, like, four killer lead performances. Like, killer. Everybody's good. She's awesome. Shea Wiggum plays the investigator. He's always liked him. Yeah, stuff, yeah. But he's fantastic. Bobby Cannavale, who... You know, is kind of a love it or he love him or hate him type of actor. I love him. He's fantastic. It's his best performance. Um, and this new kid, uh, whose name escapes me right now, but he plays the main patient in the film. Uh, he's like a movie star in the making. Um, uh, so, um, and at that point, I will know his name. But uh, <laughs> so, I want to mention those things on streaming. But my, you know, one of my favorite films of the year is actually uh, *A Prayer Before Dawn*. It is a, I guess, it's a British film because it stars uh, Joe Cole, uh, who's uh, an English actor. You may have seen him on one of my favorite shows, *Peaky Blinder*. Anyway, it's a, uh, it's it's a prison movie. It's a boxing movie. It's super brutal. It's like nothing you've seen before. It takes place in a Thai prison. So if you like the idea of spending a couple of hours in a Thai prison without the drawbacks... Without actually being, yeah, incarcerated. Highly recommend it. Again, it's not for the squeamish, because, again, the genre, remember the genre, boxing, uh, prison, the bad things happen to bad people. But uh, but it's really like nothing I've I've ever seen before. It's an invi- I have no idea how they film some of this stuff. I have no idea whether they were in a real prison. It seems unbelievably authentic. Uh, Joe gives an amazing performance. It's it's really it it's worth seeing. It's on Amazon. It's free. Check it out. That's all I got. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to a movie that's on some list. I don't think you're going to see it at Oscars time or anything. But uh, there's a movie called Burning. A Korean movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that movie is uh, almost the opposite of Border in that uh, it's maybe less weird than you might think. That uh, for a Korean art film as hell, if you've never heard, like oh, that's yeah, that Korean movie that plays at the music box or other art places. Um, it's kind of an interesting little crime story, and uh, so if you see that one come out on streaming services, you should uh, check out Burning. Don't be afraid. I heartily recommend that, and. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's all sorts of other things, but I think maybe we will do some sort of Oscar thing when it Perhaps. comes to Oscar, once we know what's this on the is, list. This was so much fun, Steve. Yeah, it's so much fun Get driving around. That's right, burning some 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 super inexpensive fuel. That's we right. We should just do twenty podcasts on one tank of gas. Wow. You think we can do that? We need a, one of those electric cars, I think. We are. We are. It's, hopefully, we won't have that much time on our hands soon enough. But uh, <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. All right. I keep saving. Maybe I could get paid. I saved you all again. Okay?